Hello and welcome to the Arab Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest. My guest today is the women's rights activist Lena El Hathloul. Lena's sister, Lujain, was jailed and tortured in Saudi Arabia for her work on behalf of women's rights in the kingdom. Lena, thank you so much for coming back on our podcast. Of course, thank you for having me, Bill. I, I've been thinking, you know, it's almost precisely a year since we last spoke about uh, Lujain. At that point, she had just been sentenced to six years in jail, but shortly after we talked, she was released. But what is Lujain's current situation in Saudi Arabia? Yes, exactly. So she was released after we spoke. Um, and now she's in Saudi Arabia. She is still not free. She has a three-year probation, which means that the Saudi authorities could arrest her anytime for any suspected crime and imprison her. And other than this three-year probation, she is under a travel ban. And she's not allowed to speak about what happened to her in prison. She's not allowed to speak about the prison conditions. And she's not allowed to commit the crimes she was accused of, which is basically her activism. So her charges mention the fact that you know she was uh, she was demanding uh, women's rights etc so everything that's in her charges she's not allowed to do anymore which is basically silencing her and is she allowed outside the home yes so she's not under house arrest she's just under a travel ban um, and actually, maybe just to note that is that the, the travel ban is also on my family. It's not only on Lujain. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because it's been a terrible hardship on your family. The fact that those of the families that are still in the kingdom are refused permission to leave. How are you and your family holding up? Because that must be a terrible stress for you all. Yes, I mean, it's... Um really difficult um you know we live in a constant state of fear uh we don't know uh, when a potential arrest could uh, take place you know the, the the travel ban is really um i think the the, the smartest uh, thing mbs has done since he came to power to silence people because it's almost like telling it's a warning saying that if you speak i will arrest you you, you know it and it works uh, because people would rather have their freedom inside of their country uh, than just than being imprisoned. So um, we, I mean, I check on my parents on a daily basis. I need to make sure that you know they're safe, that they're not arrested, that they're not being followed, not being intimidated. So it's um, it's really difficult. It um, and. What is even more difficult is that we have no evidence of this harassment. You know, even the travel ban, there is no official decision on that. So we cannot even challenge it. So they really found the, the, the right way, I would say, to silence uh, them, to silence us. Um, not silence us, but uh, for us not to find any solution, you know, to, to challenge this travel ban. So it's exhausting. When have you had a chance to be face to face with your parents? When's the last time? Uh, the last time I, I, I saw my parents was in December 2017. Uh, I was visit, visiting Saudi. And uh, actually the interesting thing is that uh, two months later, they, they imposed the travel ban or maybe before or, uh, but around that because um, 
That's when my mom also, because she was going back and forth between Belgium and, uh, and Saudi Arabia, and, uh, and, and she went and uh, she, she, after me and she couldn't leave it. Uh, so I probably would, uh, you know, I, I probably was saved from this and I could have been uh, there and uh, maybe uh, still forbidden from leaving the country. Still, that's, that's, that's a terrible long time uh, not to be able to see your family uh, face to face. You have campaigned tirelessly on the Jane's behalf and also on behalf of prisoners of conscience everywhere. And when you look around the Middle East and the arrests of journalists and bloggers, democracy and human rights activists, how do you see the situation? It's terrible. It's a terrible situation. I mean, uh, civil society is shrinking um, in almost all the countries in the Middle East. Prisons are getting bigger. Violence inside of these prisons are getting bigger. People are muzzled. So the, the situation is uh, terrible. It's... Um, but again, you know, uh, it could be worse without, you know, activists campaigning for, for, for change. And uh, I think that uh, there's still hope for it to, to, to get better. But it comes with time, with consistency, with, you know, with, uh, with believing in what you, you in, in your fight. So I, I, it, it is a terrible situation, but I don't think, uh, you know, it will end here. Last year when we were talking, you made the point that Saudi Arabia has two faces. One, it shows the West of a modern, open society, and the other of essentially a police state. And you made the point with reference to the decision to allow women to travel without the consent of a male guardian. But as you told me then, the male guardian can still go to the police and file a complaint based on the disobedience law. And you said then, I'm quoting, all the reforms that have been made are always countered so that women don't get their full freedoms. Is that still the case, Lina? Nothing has changed in a year, I must say. And I, I can even say that maybe it's even worse now because when we see is that, you know, not only do they have to go through uh, all these um, hardships, but when they complain about them, at least publicly, I must say, I don't know uh, what happens when the, their private com uh, campaigns are complaints. But what we see is that public complaints lead to even worse situations. So, uh, you know, you can see it on Twitter. Nobody dares now to speak. Uh, but when they do, uh, they really face uh, harsh consequences. Now I have in mind, uh, I, I had posted about her, um, she's a Saudi coach, Raf Al-Yami, her name was, uh, is, and she, was, uh, she, she used to work as a sports coach, and her family didn't like it. Um, so her brothers actually abducted her, and they had beaten her. Uh, they almost, I mean, I think we can call this torture, because then she came back on social media, and she took a picture of herself uh, after all the beatings. And because she posted about this, about her family's violence, she uh, lost custody of her of her children. So now she's starting a new hashtag uh, to 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 try to to see her kids again. So we see that you know uh, not only do they do they don't really have rights, but when they try uh, you know to 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 fight for them, it's even. Uh, uh, worse for them, they they, they get uh, physically attacked for demanding their rights. 
So, um, uh, yes, maybe also the, you know, the, the most recent example was um, after the, the, there was a concert that was cancelled in, in Saudi Arabia. And some women complained about uh, sexual harassment um, and, uh, you know, misorganization and their organization was terrible, etc. And so women complained about it on, on Twitter. And uh, so we see that Turki Al-Sheikh, who's a bit the entertainment guru in Saudi Arabia, he tweeted mocking them. And right after that, uh, we the, the the prosecution issued um, a statement saying that whoever uh, shares fake news about harassment and so forth uh, will get arrested. So no, the situation did not change, and we see that they're even doubling down on anyone trying to 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 you know point out these violations. And just to remind us uh, who Turkey Al Sheikh is. So Turki Al-Sheikh is uh, basically MBS's, one of MBS's right-hand men, and he is the one, uh, the minister, I think he has the, the position of a minister, and he is the chief of the inter- entertainment um, ministry in Saudi Arabia, and he is the one, you know, who uh, organizes everything, and uh, he also has to have his hand on everything, actually, you know, he doesn't, it's not an, an independent institution, I must say. He ha- he oversees it and he decides every um, little de- decision. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because entertainment is one of the mechanisms or means that Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, uses to convince the West that uh, Saudi Arabia is now a, a modern and an open uh, society. Um, I'm just wondering because, you know, the uh, the regime has spent a lot of money polishing up or trying to polish up the image of Mohammed bin Salman, uh, particularly after the murder of uh, Jamal Hashouji. When you saw the Premier League wave through the purchase of Newcastle United Football Club by the Public Investment Fund, which um, MBS totally controls, what did you think about that? You know, I think uh, that it went, the, the deal went through for different reasons but not because um, MBS is is being rehabilitated. Because when we see uh, the justification um, of the Premier League when they accepted the deal, they have been, you know, uh, I, I would say they, they try to justify the fact that the public investment fund is different from MBS and that MBS doesn't control it. So we see that they clearly don't want to be part of this rehabilitation, which is a good thing. But clearly, uh, the, the deal went through uh, based, I would say, on a blatant lie. They lied to the people saying that MBS won't have any uh, supervision power over the, the, this team, which is absolutely wrong. I mean, the PIF is MBS, and I mean, MBS is now Saudi Arabia, I would say. You know, anything that is linked to Saudi Arabia's economy, uh, MB, um, to Saudi Arabia's economy, MBS has a role in it. So. I would say that uh, it's sad that, you know, um, they had to lie just for money um, and that, you know, they couldn't, uh, for example, you know, I would have, for example, preferred them uh, trying to justify the fact that MBS is someone good so that, you know, finally the backlash can be even uh, stronger. But when you you try to make it go through uh, a lie, that's a different story, I would say. Um, So... Yes, I think that sports washing and um, news and, you know, concerts and everything is a way for MBS to 
whitewash his crimes, to be rehabilitated, to be seen as a reformer, you know, as an open person. But what we see is that, you know, he has to 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 do it through lies still, and you know, and his um, all his strategies are not uh, convincing, and um, people still see him as the criminal he is, and his um, yeah his. Um, you know, rehabilitation propaganda uh, is still not working. Mm. The El Hathlouls are, are fighters. You're a, a family of great, courageous fighters. And, and one of the battles involves a lawsuit against three Americans who assisted the United Arab Emirates in hacking LeJane's phone. And that then led to her arrest, imprisonment and, and torture. Can you tell me a little bit about this case? Yes, so um, actually it's interesting because, you know, we found out about Lujain's hacking uh, through the media when it went out in, um, I actually, uh, when it was out on uh, Reuters a couple of years ago and Lujain was still in prison. And so uh, when Lujain uh, was out of uh, jail, you know, she continued actually her fights, you know, uh, for example, when, um, when she was released, uh, she still appealed. Of course, you know, they didn't accept it. But uh, and another thing she did was, uh, for example, complain uh, to the UAE about her car, that it was that they didn't give it back to her, for example. And uh, another thing was a defamation uh, suit to the Saudi um, media agency for all the defamation they they, they posted about her. So, um, Lujain, you know, even when... After all she's been through, she still wants, you know, to, she's seeking justice. And um, one of the ways, you know, uh, is also to, uh, yeah, to complain and to, 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 to stop this impunity that now we see with all these uh, hacking and, um, and malwares. And uh, she knows that, you know, especially in Saudi Arabia, everything goes through the phone. You know, we don't have ev every communication possible has to go through the phone so uh, when someone hacks you they hack every basic freedom you have you know they you don't have any privacy anymore you don't have even you know your freedom to 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 move is um is weakened because you 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 maybe are scared to go um wherever you want to go with google maps because you know you could be tracked so she knew that this was a big thing and with um you know the she has a lot of courage and she knew that it was also a kind of um I would say she, she felt it was also a duty because of all the support she had and that, you know, uh, she, she had to to fight the, the fight till the end and not to betray anyone who, you know, could go through the same things that, as her but wouldn't have the support she, she had. So I think that, you know, this lawsuit is really to stop this impunity and um, to make sure that uh, the, the, the people who hack and who uh, make their citizens' lives uh, a nightmare are held accountable for it. And, and that case is being uh, uh, carried in, in America, in an American court. And we should remind our listeners that these three uh, fellows worked in the United Arab Emirates for a company which hacked into uh, Lujain's phone. Uh, and, and as you say, Lujain was in the United Arab Emirates and was turned over to Saudi authorities, wasn't she? Absolutely. So, yes, they worked for, um, uh, including Faisal Al-Nayan, who is uh, a bit the cybersecurity uh, guru again in the UAE. 
and they they knew actually you know uh, and there, there are different document documented cases that when the uae you know seeks help in in the cybersecurity intelligence that it leads to human rights violations so lujain was in the uae at that time she uh, she didn't know that her phone was hacked uh, but she got kidnapped in daylight uh, on the highway and brought back to Saudi Arabia in a private plane against her will. And then she was uh, in Saudi Arabia, put on a travel ban and later on um, arrested, tortured, uh, sentenced in a terrorism court and then now released, but still not free. Mm. As I say, I mean, it, it shows the enormous courage of her and of your family that she is continuing the fight. And, and you make a very good point, not just on her behalf, but on the behalf of so many other people who are facing very similar situations. Absolutely. I mean, now we see it with the, the recent revelations of uh, NSO and Pegasus, uh, the, the, the most recent ones being a Jordanian woman and um, a Bahraini activist uh, being targeted. So I think that, you know, the, the more we we show these uh, people, experts and companies uh, that they they won't get away with it with, without, you know, paying the price uh, of hacking us, the more, uh, the, the less people will be willing to invest in these companies and um, and they know that it, it is something toxic and it can also ruin your reputation. So I think Lujain is one of uh, the pioneers in this and that uh, a lot of uh, people will be willing to sue the, the, their hackers, hopefully. Well, and a, a pioneer in so many ways. Um, but I wanted to ask you about a, a quite a wonderful project that you have embarked on with Uma Mishra Nubri like you, a great activist on behalf of women and human rights. It's a children's book with a, with a magical title, Lujain Dreams of Flowers. The book has had some great uh, pre-release reviews. Lyrical and Moving is one, a must read is another. Now it's coming out, I think the 1st of March. Uh, tell, me, tell me about the, the book and then the project and how it came about. Yeah, um, so actually, Uma and I met when uh, the first time I went to the United Nations to to the Human Rights Council in Geneva, and she lives in Geneva. Um, and at that time, she worked for um, Women's March Global, and she was uh, part of the team, you know, preparing for the um, the, the the speech I, I had to, to to give there. And uh, she invited me to to have dinner at her place, and she has a five, at that time five year old daughter, uh, Lila. And uh, of course, Lila, you know, she had heard so many things about Lujain. And she kept asking questions, you know, and it's a bit difficult to, to explain to a, to a child what, what we're doing, you know, and what, what, what Lujain was doing and, you know, what she was fighting for. And that's how, you know, we decided to maybe um, make it more magical, clear and simple, uh, um, what Lujain was uh, doing. And so the, the story is about um, a little girl uh, named Lujain, who lives in a world where only men can fly uh, to a colorful world. Uh, but she questions this a lot when she sees her father. She always asks him why, why he can and she cannot with her classmates uh, as well. Till the day where her father accepts that she wears her uh, wings and goes see the colorful worlds. 
and also this is you know um to illustrate or represents uh, the first video that Lujain had uh, recorded in Saudi Arabia when she was driving the first time my father was uh, recording it and he was uh, you know quite proud of her so yes this book you know i think uh, it's important to for kids to know that if when they when they believe that something is wrong that they can fight it and that they should you know trust their their own feelings and their gut when they they see something and just and that they can fight and win it and um i think it in, inspired um it, it it will inspire many kids but it's also for me personally you know we wrote it at the time where Lujan was still in prison and my biggest fear at that time is that the, the saudi uh, narrative about women's rights defenders who were in prison wins over what we you know were defending so you know a book is uh, something that you know will last generations that i wanted to make sure that she's not forgotten and that you know uh, her story lives throughout uh, different generations yeah and and as you say a children's book in some ways makes it even even closer and and more special and you know when I, uh, reading about the book and and hearing you talk about it 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 really um and thinking about the the concept of freedom and what it means to those who are denied it uh, it reminded me of a poem that uh, my friend Ahmed Mansour uh, the United Arab Emirates uh, wrote um, he's jailed in the UAE in uh, solitary confinement in really awful circumstances can can i read you the poem it's it's quite short absolutely please do what are all those stars for and the night and the clouds and the sky erected like a tent in the desert in a place mm -hmm. like this everything is luxury my god <laughs> I'm I'm going to cry, Bill. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, it um, it's so strong and simple and elegant. So few words, and it says so much. And you know, I'm thinking of children's books, which you know, lots of images and not a lot of words, and how powerful they can be. So I I think it's. It's very, very. Uh, it's it's so appropriate that that you're bringing this book out um, on the first of March, and I, for one, will certainly be looking forward and and reading it to some of my uh, my uh, wife and my younger younger uh, friends, their their, their children. Um, thank you so much, Ben. Thank you. And, and now, finally, I I just want to ask you one more question, Lena, because you know. Sometimes I look around at the situation in the Middle East, you know, the coups in Sudan and Tunisia, the, the terrible repression in, in Egypt and what's going on in Saudi Arabia and the UAE and, and other Gulf countries. And, you know, I, I start to lose hope. So I'm, my question is, how do you keep hopeful? How do you keep fighting the good fight? Um, you know, I think um, l losing hope is um, is usually because we we don't really look uh, back in history, 
I mean, changes, uh, great changes didn't happen in, uh, in a day. And I think that we are just part of a long process that will eventually, you know, um, and we will eventually eventually win. But, you know, just thinking that, uh, you know, we will end injustice, we will overthrow a, a dictatorship in our lives that are, you know, before we, we die, I think it's, I don't think um, it's, um the the right way to 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 see things I, I think we should understand that these sacrifices are worth it even though we cannot see them directly i am lucky i've seen you know the fruits of my fight uh while i'm alive and it didn't take a lot of time but you know i i never you know even if it had taken me t 10 years to free my sister i would have done it i wouldn't have given up and i i never put in my I didn't even, you know, expect it to be to be short. So, I think we have to understand that the fight for justice is a long process, but it's worth it. And that I personally would get uh, even more tired of not doing anything than, you know, uh, fighting all these um, injustices and uh, getting all this backlash. It's actually, I think, easier for my own, my own. Yes, a psychological state of mind than uh, not doing anything, I would say. So I think that, you know, believing in what we were doing and uh, believing in, 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 its, uh, in our victory is, is what keeps, on, keeps us going on. Yeah, Lena, that's a very good, very good point you make that really is taking the long view and, and, and looking back, as you say, at history and, and the struggles that people have engaged in through the centuries uh, struggle for freedom uh, it's not it's something that you know will never be crushed destroyed denied is it exactly it's a, it's impossible as long you know freedom lives in the, in, the, in the brain of of the ones who are fighting for it so i think that as long as we still have this idea of freedom in our brains it cannot be crushed it cannot be destroyed and they they won't ever make us believe that it's not possible to reach it Lena, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ben. Our voices wouldn't be reached without people hearing them. So thank you for mediating this. Thank you, Lena. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was the Saudi women's rights campaigner, Lena Al-Hathloul, sister of Lujain Al-Hathloul, released from jail in Saudi Arabia, but still with severe restrictions placed on her. Lena's children's book, co-written with Uma Mishra Nubri, Lujain Dreams of Sunflowers, is out on the 1st of March, so watch out for it. In addition to our podcasts, which I'm pleased to say have a rapidly growing global audience, the Arab Digest newsletter features the very best of MENA analysts. If you'd like a free trial to the newsletter, simply go to arabdigest.org. And if you enjoy what you find and want to join the club after your trial period has ended, we're offering special rates to students, academics, and retirees. And subscriptions are now available to university libraries. Check it out on ArabDigest.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading from independent sources.